0: Empowered birthing, doulas, women's business, and the role of men in birth with Nadine Richardson, founder of SheBirths. Welcome to the Vital Veda Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Smith, an Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator. I'm so excited for this episode. And we're just gonna get straight into it because it's such a powerful episode. It's with a really an amazing woman, Nadine Richardson. She is a birthing educator and a yoga teacher. And a mother and a doula and a speaker and really an amazing person she's the founder and creator of the world's only scientifically verified childbirth education program which is she births she births has created some wonderful births and has some really amazing scientifically proven results as we'll speak about in the program but nadine why i'm so excited is she's such a shakti which means in the vedas she has infinite organizing power she is femininity in its divinity and it's just such a, an important um, topics which she talks about related with birth and womanhood and sisterhood. And, you know, over the last 20 years, she's an ex- become an expert in childbirth, pregnancy and prenatal yoga. And, you know, she knows that together we can shift the cultural meme of birth from a medicalized trauma- traumatic event to something so much better. And what Nadine does so beautifully is she takes the fear out of childbirth. She helps women connect and trust their bodies while also equipping the partners to not only provide effective support, but to also to become an active participant in the journey. Now we're going to talk more about she births, but the mission of she births is to restore the sanctity of birth, build stronger families, and hand the power of birth back to every woman. So we got a seriously awesome episode coming up. Um, just a quick announcement of the future events, live events coming up. Just a couple to diarize. They're both not announced. One is in Melbourne on the 20th of February. I'll be doing a talk at Lightspace Yoga in Melbourne for, on Ayurveda. And in Sydney on the 18th of March, this is a good one, I'll be interviewing Myra Lewin um, in North Bondi on the 18th of March about addictions and food addictions, coffee addictions, quick highs, compulsive disorders. Actually, my podcast episode released, I think, earlier this year with Myra Lewin is the most listened to one yet. And we're we'll going to be doing an awesome live event with not only just a talk, some chai, some beautiful live music. So stay tuned. i those ones for now. For now, Myra Lewin's one episode, but check out the other episodes. There's so many amazing um, em- episodes on this podcast. And it's just what a beautiful honor it is for me to interview different experts in their fields of consciousness, spirituality, science, health. Yeah, there's just a, such a diverse range of of topics on this podcast so check it out and please remember to if you like this the stuff I'm doing the stuff I'm sharing share this you know tag you know take a screenshot of it share it on Instagram story don't forget to tag me and tag Nadine tag Shebirths um, and tag Vital Vader whether it's on Instagram or Facebook and don't forget to subscribe to the channel then you don't miss an episode at the moment we're only once a month and leave a review that will support a lot you know take action don't just be a bystander and hope that other people will do it contribute you'll feel good Your this podcast is all run by your support um so yeah that would be much appreciated also one last thing don't forget every show has its show notes and especially for a show like this when you know i talk about some of the ayurvedic interventions for postnatal and during pregnancy listing some herbs and things i don't really go into great detail the show notes have greater detail of that so when you want to reference you know also check out for the pregnant women i've got an article a pregnancy month by month Guide a guide to a healthy pregnancy, and a separate article which is very much detailed and very essential is the postnatal regime. And that's one of my biggest passions as we talk about. Check those out for more information. And if you want to learn more about shebirths, check them out. They've got an app, a podcast, and a website in person or online. Enjoy the show. All right, Nadine, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Dylan, before my younger, so that's <laughs> it. You get me, no worries.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking which one to do first, like get you all relaxed and then <laughs> do the podcast or, I don't know, don't listen, while you're awake. Yeah,
1: stimulation, <laughs>
0: that's good. Um, so you're a doula as well as a birth educator. Anything else on your bio?
1: Well, I've been a, a yoga teacher. Mm, of course. I suppose that was the foundation. Um, and before that, I worked in um, documentary film. And before that, in television commercial production. And um, I just sort of moved more and more and more closer, I suppose, to my dharma as life unfolded with its lessons and journeys. And they've all fed in beautifully to one another and helped each other. And I'm a celebrant too. I do ritual and ceremony for people. Beautiful.
0: So can you give us an overview of actually what is a doula?
1: Yeah, doula is just a really ancient thing. It's women helping women through birth. And it's what we've always had um, is our sisters and our aunts and our mothers there. This uh, comes from the Latin, which means to serve woman. Midwife means to be with woman and obstetrician comes from the Latin that means to observe. So you've got these kind of layers of support and they each provide a special skill. Um, but the doula is the most continuous, the most empathic, the one most uh, there for the longest, and really helping a couple uh, traverse that journey of birth and prepare for birth. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. And that's really interesting. You mentioned obstetrician is to observe. Yeah, yeah. It'd be and nice
1: if most of them did that too. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, so
0: so you know, they're really getting intimate with handling intervening yeah. yeah and and you're saying that's more more a role of a doula and a midwife or who's
1: well the you know the midwife should be with woman but a lot of the time they're not in our busy hospital system so they pop in and this is such an important question to just get a understanding of how birth actually works in the modern world most people give birth in a hospital 0.6 currently in australia give birth at home home situations are totally different to what um, I'm describing, but a midwife will pop in once every half an hour to do the safety and vital checks on a mother and child—heartbeat, heartbeat, heartbeat um, blood pressure, and so on. And they don't really get to be with women; they actually spend a lot more time doing paperwork and computers and stuff like that. Unfortunately, much to a lot of them, for a lot of them, very frustrating. And the obstetrician is really the surgeon that's there. Um, in the background that's there to really look out for the very high risk women which is somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the population somewhere around that number so that's when we require extra assistance Um, and the doula uh, is there on call and um, you know very common for me to spend easily 10 hours with a couple but 24 as well so really the main pain relief strategist in the room the one managing the sort of psychodynamics of a relationship potentially or hopefully that's all in order beforehand that's one of the reasons why i created she births and really um allowing partners to rest guiding the partner to know what they can do and um, to support mum because birth is a psychosomatic experience so you have this really intimate uh journey and role with the couple Um, and you stay until the baby's feeding until mother's showered if she needs any stitches until everyone's all good and then we go and keep coming back to the couple after birth as well
0: yeah within this network of supporting um associates and people very close to the mother who's giving birth what's the role of the father because i think generally or or the male or it can be a, a partner of the same sex but Um, Yeah, even of the partner in general, because I think a lot of men are feeling uh, maybe anxiety and they have, and they have a lot of people have high expectations of the man and the husband and maybe they're not fit for that role.
1: Absolutely. I think it's, well, in a modern world, post-industrialization, this nuclear family sort of structure that we're all now enmeshed in, um we do place a huge amount of expectation on our partners in general, on each other to be our best friend and our lover and our confidant and the person we intellectually uh, engage with, as well as socially, like there's a huge amount of responsibility or pressure, I think initially. And I think we should be aware of that, right? That not one person can meet all those things. Now, when it comes to birth, birth has always been women's business. Like, And it's always been women birthing with other women in a red tent, some kind of structure like that. The Aboriginal women would go off with one or two sisters, the sort of local um, traditional birth attendant, TBA we call them, Um, and you would go to the tree or you'd go up the Bronte gully to the waterhole and you would birth there with a couple of sisters to help keep you safe. And if men came anywhere near that, they'd be punished Um, so it's important to understand that that's really what we've been doing since the beginning of time for tens of thousands of years. And right now we are in the most time of flux and change and opportunity. So I started to notice, I suppose, about sort of 15, 20 years ago that dads were being almost pushed into the birthing room, expected to be there. Whereas our own dads, yours and mine, Dylan, wouldn't have probably even, you know, been invited in or even been there at all. When I ask my couples who do she births, were your dads there at your birth? More and more that number's going up, but I would say only 10% actually were there Wow. when the babies were born. And now this generation, you're asked to come in and you are literally asked to be the primary support person in an experience you have no knowledge of whatsoever.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the primary, like the husband should be the number one go-to and support It's just
1: criminal, I reckon, Mm -hmm. to send anyone into a birthing room without good education and preparation. Um, Especially a bloke. Sorry, Mm -hmm. but like (laughs) it's it's like they want to fix things and they want to help so much. And it's so hard to see the person that you love in pain they need knowledge to be able to get through that with stillness and to be that still-centered, calm rock and to know the tools that you can bring in and how to bring them in um, and how to leave your ego outside and your fear outside. You have to work through all that stuff. So, um, yeah, partners have such a such an important role. I We have Daddy Doula Awards, right, every Father's Day. And that doesn't mean that those people who, you know, fill out a form and say, you know, my partner should get the daddy doula award. Um, Doesn't mean they didn't also have another doula in the space, like a a female doula, but they just want to acknowledge how amazing their partners were. And it takes a lot of masculine stillness, but it also takes a great sort of feminine energy to really support a woman through the unraveling, the catharsis, or in Chinese medicine, the watershed of birth. There's a lot going on, not just in our bodies, but in our minds and in our hearts as well. So I think it's a big ask. In my experience, the dads are friggin' awesome and the partners, same sex, you know, I think it's easier, maybe slightly in the same sex dynamic, but dads are doing great. And um, especially the she births dads.
0: <laughs> do you ever get dads in your work that, that do want to acknowledge kind of that traditional role and say, well, this is not for me? and Totally. Yeah, well.
1: Yeah. they. I mean, I don't think they come to the she births course, a lot of them, but we've definitely had a few come um, not feeling like they want to be that primary support person or even be at the birth and then be in that open potential, maybe I will, maybe I won't, and then they make a decision once they're informed whether it's for them. But a lot of partners will want to be there. But certainly have a female present as well. Women supporting women is is very natural in the birthing process. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. At least for me, the the status quo and the the norm and the expectations was that yeah, father must be the primary support. Mm. I remember when my um when my friend who's a pundit, a Vedic priest, he, his wife was giving birth in India. I was in India with him, and he was his wife was due in about a week, and he was going to Australia tomorrow. I go, <laughs> what? You're not going to be We're there when your wife's Gives him birth because no, she's with the mother, she doesn't even want me to be there, then she will be in fear. And yeah, so I was blown away. And
1: yeah,
0: I mean, especially them, they're you know, arranged marriage, so they're not very comfortable with each other. So when yeah, she didn't want him in that birth, um, she wanted to be.
1: We're seeing it in Cambodia now. We have a really good friend, Denise Love, who started the doula training here years ago in Australia, and she has lots of charities and she works across Asia. And, And she said, men are now coming into the birthing rooms in Cambodia. Previously, it's always been women's business and women and men are choosing to marry for love rather than out of arrangement. But then, of course, so their dad's come into the birthing room. She said they're interrupting the process so much, the complications that are happening now in the birthing room they haven't seen 10 years ago. And that is because of the fear that's felt and also the shyness because it is such a, a raw experience you know physically and often emotionally that you might not be ready to reveal that side of yourself as a woman to your partner and so that has to be sort of broached in, in its own way as well I think for a couple you know what's comfortable for you but you know in the Orthodox Jewish um, culture as well, the moment the woman is um, shed any blood, he won't be able to touch her so i've done dueling in the orthodox community as well and sometimes those dads as well will just literally go outside the the birthing suite room and and dubbin in mm-hmm. the hall right yeah, yeah. We, i mean prayer and meditation yeah. is is a powerful way to yeah. bring about that parasympathetic support, which yeah. is really important to a
0: great way to support you know, yeah to be, absolutely and that doesn't mean and of course we're, we're talking about this but you know that's why you created She is, is for the men that do want to be there and support right by the women's side. They can do that properly. Yeah. And um, And so, obviously, it's like a, it's a huge role being a doula or, or a sister or auntie if you're going to be that intimate. This is really a role that it, it seems that every woman or, or a skill or experience that women should have being a woman and, and claiming your womanhood and your femininity because, and to, to maintain close connections with family and friends and tribes. How, yeah, how important is it for women to have those skills and how, I guess, realistic is it in these, in today's age for for women to start learning about that because they, you know, they, unless you're going to do a course in doula or... Doularing,
1: yeah. Honestly, I really believe that every single woman should, like, finish school somewhere in their 20s, do a doula training. Like... It is our primal role as women. We used to sit in circle, giggle and laugh all day, look after kids, weave baskets, gather berries, um, and our lives were filled with oxytocin and estrogen, totally and parasympathetic 99% of the time, happy and then assisting at birth. That's what we did. And guys did pretty different stuff. And that was a lot of adrenaline and sympathetic and testosterone. And now these two worlds are kind of converging and it's great. We have choice, but we have to also understand that within the mammal, there is an innate wisdom and therefore fulfillment in connecting back with these ancient roles that we were destined to do. And um so yeah in my mind it would be awesome if every woman was able to do the doula training even if she never had children herself and uh I don't I think birth is such an intense day in our lives no matter how it's happening that you're really missing out if you don't have someone there to witness you and that's what we really see with doularing like firstly the doula is according to Cochrane reviews, the most evidence-based tool you can have to reduce a C-section. There's nothing else better than that. Shebirths does a pretty good job, but doula training and doula present um, is the bomb. That's great. Yeah. And so that, but I think what we also know is that doulas increase a maternal satisfaction, in that woman around how she sees herself and the birth experience. And I think it's that power of being seen and witnessed and going, you are just fucking awesome. I just saw what you did. You gave it everything and well done you. You deserve every moment of praise and that's the empowerment, not just how you feel in yourself, but how you're seen and reflected back. And and that's us in relationship, in a tribe. And that gives that woman strength to continue on through a very challenging year postpartum. Yeah,
0: beautiful. And C sections. I mean, it's the most common medical one of the most sorry one of the most common medical procedures. Yeah, I think it's
1: the most common surgery every single day around the world now. Mm.
0: And you know, it's really the obstetrician is not really doing his his role of observing. They're usually, you know, coming in to. And it's not just them, it's also the, the hospital systems. Um, and
1: culture and, and the yeah. women themselves and the partners. Yeah. All converging towards this, yeah.
0: So, I mean, can you talk about the, the pandemic that we're facing in the world? And I mean, you know, what are the rates? How are we going in Australia? And
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Australia is pretty similar to, you know, England and America. We sit at around the 30% mark as a national C-section rate um and that's then within some public hospitals you'll probably see a bit less like the royal up the road here in ramwick i think it's at like 25 or something like that <clears throat> but then unfortunately the private hospital systems that are um obstetrics led um you see a c section of 47% nationally and then up the road prince of wales which is next door to the public hospital you'll see a c section rate right far above that with a lot of providers um, so that's sort of standard in the Western developed countries. Why are the
0: private hospitals higher rates?
1: Because number of reasons, um, and there's lots of varied kind of conversations about it all. Uh, you could start with just the, the sort of philosophy and attitude and training of someone who's a surgeon, 12 years of study. <clears throat> Their job is to manage risk, and so potentially they start to overmanage low risk people and there's fears of litigation um in the complexities of birth there is a lot of uh sort of different points of view actually around whether to induce or whether not to juice or what date to do inductions or whether this baby really is in distress or not there's actually a lot of um confusion sometimes and different providers will perceive things and set things very differently. So potentially it's simply about, um, yeah, money as well and schedules. Yeah. Um, and I think equally it's often, it's about culture and about fear and, um, the women, and I mean that amongst us as women ourselves and bringing that and it meets fear or control or whatever it is on the other side, And then we get increasing rates.
0: Especially when you have one of those views from, for example, an obstetrician or someone saying, well, it would be safer. You know, maybe if if you're an obstetrician is going to say or any dog is going to say your baby will be safer if we do this. 100% of women are going to do that. And they're not even going to consider other options and, you know, other views, whether you're just listening to a doctor who, you know, maybe has a schedule or, yeah so a public (laughs) hospital ob
1: is different to a private hospital ob as well but then again their training is to be a surgeon and their training is to see risk and manage risk um but you know midwives are trained in managing risk as well um the, the the shame is like we need everybody we need everyone we need obstetricians to be around. We need midwives. We need doulas. We need all of them. But perception of roles and um, management of risk is definitely varied in the medical profession. So, for example, I come from a family of doctors, right? Um, my dad, my stepmom, my stepdad, my grandfather, all doctors. My grandma was a nurse. But if we look at my grandfather, who was like a rural GP, In the north of Scotland, he caught lots of babies at home and um, looked after lots of families and so on. And his perception was, for example, around episiotomies, which is when we cut through the perineum and the pelvic floor in order to make space for a baby to come down. Um, His perception around episiotomies was women should never have one. If she needed one, it's simply because she wasn't in the right position. Interesting, right? My stepdad did his obstetrics training in the seventies and he said What? When I talked to him about episiotomy rates, he said, No, every single woman needs one. We used to do it. We used to walk along the rows of the hospital ward, curtains between all the women in the supine, on their back position, feet and syrups, and literally cut and wipe, cut and wipe and go down the pelvic floors like that. And then you know, my dad, for example, he, this is really personal. I hope that my family aren't listening, but, you know, my dad just, he paid for our independent midwife to not be in the medical system as much. And he just said, it's women's business. Do it at home. You'll get great care. I'll pay for it. You know, we were broke at the time, 25 and young. And my stepmom is a GP, and she is quite convinced that every woman, is going to die giving birth at home. So they're all doctors, they all have different perspectives, different periods of training. And I think that's really important to understand that you can't put your faith all the time in a system. And systems have variations, protocols, best practice is actually an individual caregiver's interpretation of best practice. So if you go into these systems without education, you will get funneled down a conveyor belt and that is where we get great amounts of intervention and dissatisfaction. So education is just so key to empowerment. And um, anyway, I took that on a long ramble. And
0: for that, you need an open mind and the ability to break social conditioning, to consider and be comfortable with exploring other avenues and not being confined to to the status quo of care. and
1: Yeah, the status quo of the world, Dylan. It's like... It's, it's confronting for people to realise that you can't put all your faith in a medical system. I get that. But, like, did you put all your faith in an education system during school? Like, you'd be stupid to do that. And you know that we shouldn't do that, that there is agency that we have over our life and our learning and our bodies and our health. Um, but the fear will stop people from looking outside. And I, yeah, I've got so many ideas of how we can change culture and mindset right now. I'm just sitting with so many options as around what we can do to reach people, but you definitely need to be open-minded. You've got to have a little element of belief that birth can be something different to the medicalized traumatic event that has been shown to you in television for the last 20 years
0: and just to clarify with people i know most people know about why you don't want to have a c section a cesarean because uh, i mean most of us know that you know you don't get the full microbiome when you, when you do vagi- vaginal birth you're getting that vagina microbiome which is so essential like 90% of our body is made of microbiome we are mostly bugs rather than human even most of our dna is, is microbiome so it's absolutely essential and one of the reasons i'm so passionate about gynecology particularly birth pregnancy and postnatal and and also preconception is because whatever we do at this time of life that is the ultimate preventative medicine for that yeah. human being because totally. you know within that spe- okay for example postnatal like within that first 40 days within that first 6 months within that first 2 years of life that is going to blueprint on their life and their health for the future so if we really yeah. you know give good interventions and good uh, ways of bringing up and, and implementations, then then that's crucial. Yeah. So with the C-section, it's mainly the microbiome.
1: Well, for the baby, um, there's quite a few factors. So what we see, and it's well documented at well over 30 years now of C-section babies before we even started discussing microbiome benefits and so on of vaginal delivery, is that babies that were born via C-section We're much more likely to have respiratory conditions um, and lifelong asthma. And they're also much more likely to not continue with breastfeeding. And that's a a dual issue between mother and child Um, and increases in autism as well, which could just be a direct correlation to microbiome. And we also know um, uh, less IQ. Apparently it's a horrible one. It's a correlation. Again, these are all correlations. There's no real causation with any of these things. So we knew that for the bubbers, but we also know for mums, firstly, you know, if you can push a baby out of your vagina in eight hours or whatever time it is, Your recovery, your bounce back and your ability to move and lift your baby and breastfeed and feel great about yourself is very different to a six week recovery from major abdominal surgery where you can't lift your baby. You can't lift your own body to be able to feed and you're on a huge amount of painkillers. It's kind of hard to bond and feel yourself and feel all that. So there's a lot of interruptions between relationship that can happen, but we know there's increases in hemorrhaging and um, in repeat kind of adhesions of placentas to scar tissue, therefore repeat caesareans and hysterectomy rates go up after caesareans. So there's actually a whole bunch of sort of follow on um, risks for the mother um, longer term.
0: And in Ayurveda, we don't really, you know, the baby can't get much treatment or we're not gonna give it a lot of herbs or anything. The main way to ensure proper baby health is mom has to be fit and healthy. Yeah. Full of nutrition, so that through her breast milk the baby can get the nourishment and nutrition so, so yeah it 's mainly focusing the most important thing postnatal is to balance mum because yeah. she just went through a crazy hormonal change, and we have to balance especially the vata is very high because she just had suddenly had all this space I mean the space is a bit manifested yeah. because it, what was inside of the space has suddenly left after yeah, nine so months. Yeah, so there's this like cold emptiness Massive, yeah. that's
1: really Vata aggravating. Yeah,
0: so it's really important to, to balance the mum in that way and then the baby will, will be taken care of through mum.
1: Yeah, that's so true, so, so. true.
0: And yeah, yeah, and so in C-sections also epidurals Yeah, so
1: that's utilized. More. Yeah, which is so great. Which I mean, it used to be a general anesthetic mm. um, and that's only used now in very rare circumstances. But an epidural allows the mother to be conscious, allows the mum to put her own arms down. We can make cesareans beautiful. Like, thank God they exist, right? And they are, you know, a relatively simple procedure compared with lots of operations and um, and very safe now um, thanks to antibiotics and epidurals. Uh, so you can make a cesarean a really beautiful birth and I've certainly helped lots of families do that. We have like a family-centered, immune-boosting C-section pack in the SheBirths program and in our app that people can read. And I think it's really important to remember that a CESAR is still a birth. Like, it's monumental, it's extraordinary, and, uh, you know, you can be engaged in it in so many ways and have a sense of agency to make it a calm experience because we do everything that we can, right, to, you know, look after our bodies and our children through birth. But these tools are there. These medical tools are there for a reason. And I do say, and I really believe that at the end of the day, it's not how our babies are born, but who we're being that really matters the most. So, if we can go into that cesarean section or an epidural vaginal delivery and stay calm and connected, have a sense of love and respect in the space, that creates a chemistry, and that's transmitted through and shared with the child. Um, so we don't want their whole like sympathetic nervous system to switch on immediately, you know after birth. We want oxytocin as much as possible. Now, that's another thing we don't get in a scheduled C-section um, is the hormonal orchestration and it's that hormonal orchestration that changes as a woman's neurobiology, like her brain, her thinking, her plasticity of mind, like everything's really up for radical transformation as she goes through this ego dissolution, oxytocin endorphin flooded brain experience. And that is like so enriching like that's like can be psychedelic post-birth for women, those hormones, you know? So that's also can be a missing. So in Ayurveda and in she births, you know, we go for the most optimal. So let's say the most optimal is like, you know, a water birth at home. If that feels safe for you, it might be at the hospital, wherever you want to be, but you know, an orgasmic water birth, that's like the most optimal. And if we can't have that, what's the next most optimal? What's the next most optimal? And how do we make, our, you know least favorite um kind of birth notion that we're thinking of how could we make that beautiful and that's what we work really hard at she births for so that everyone feels a sense of connection and and satisfaction and empowerment beautiful. i think is really and important i just want
0: to mention when when you're talking about the the brain being flooded with hormones I, I love that because my teacher padmaraji used to always say like Whenever you give birth, your hormones change so, so beautifully. And, and like I used to just think like if I've got a patient, a female with a hormone imbalance, just just have a baby. You'll get fixed with that. Because <laughs> he used to say like, you know, when you give birth, it, it, it does a lot of good things. And so much. It, it can, you know, cure someone's menstrual issues they've yeah. had for a while. And-
1: yeah, it can. But so, yeah, the oxytocin is the hormone of love and it's the hormone of calm and confidence. And it builds to in a natural labor like two to four hundred times higher than what a woman has experienced in her best ever sexual experience previously. So she's never felt that before. And then we also are getting flooded in that late stage of pregnancy with beta endorphins. And they're just like friggin' awesome because they flood the neocortex. So they're just shutting down the analytical mind so that she can just really allow the back brain to take over. But those are opiates too. And they're the hormones of transcendence. So that allows her to really transcend in those spaces between the contractions and change her brainwave patterns and go through this extraordinary ego dissolution And then at the very end of birth, I mean, there's lots of hormones at the very end. You also get adrenaline for you and the baby for the expulsive reflex to happen, the adrenaline to go through to the baby's lungs. So they breathe well. And so when they're born, you know, their pupils are dilated so that they can track your face and bond with you. But that adrenaline along with oxytocin and endorphins is such a wild ride, man. Like there's no other time in your life that those three will coexist at such high levels. And, it's um transition and second stage is when it's all happening and it's such a clever and intelligent um programming by nature um and i think it's just such a privilege to go through that ride but i do believe that it it almost sets a bar then of oxytocin and endorphins in our life going forward and um yeah, it's pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, once you get that experience, you can go back to it yeah. to some extent. You it'll... always know yeah. that
1: it's there—that sense of love and connection mm-hmm. and surrender and transcendence. It's a very powerful, deep meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And one thing I want to mention is that epidurals do hamper that oxytocin secretion. Yeah, they do. They interrupt it. Yeah. So when the brain we ha- uterus connection.
1: Yeah. So when we have synthetic oxytocin. Um, when we have uh, an epidural, we've interrupted that normal physiological orchestration.
0: Mm. Yeah, the Ferguson reflex, which, yeah, that brain-uterus connection, which my yeah. teachers would always say, yes, the brain and uterus are connected. But Oh, they are. No, yeah,
1: yeah, they are. The brain and the vagina are so deeply connected. Naomi Wolf writes about that in her book, Vagina, and it's she basically says the vagina is the seat of consciousness. And she's right. You know, it's it's a very powerful seat. Of course, that's where Kundalini, you know, comes up through and arises from. And yeah, the whole world changes as that place stretches. So the maximum time that a woman like the maximum amount of oxytocin that we measure in bloodstreams comes when a baby's head is sitting at full crowning and the perineum is at full stretch. So that's where she gets flooded with the oxytocin the most. And so to the point where when sheep have to have caesarean sections, the ewes, the female sheep, um, they won't bond often with their lambs or stimulate breastfeeding. That won't occur um, until uh, they've done a digital stretch with fingers of the perineum to Mm. allow the... Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting, Mm. right?
0: All right. And too, you mentioned the expulsion. I want to talk about that. (laughs) Because, again, until, you know, for most of my life, I, I again thought the normal thing was for a woman to lie on her back and give Oof. birth. Like kills me for so long. I mean, how yeah. should it be done? Because now, now, I've seen videos of active birthing, of active birthing of women standing and mm, yeah. What tell us the difference about nearly those.
1: everyone thinks, even in developing countries in um, third world, they think that we should lie on our I backs. Guarantee
0: you, most people listening to this will think that.
1: Yeah, I know. It kills me. It's actually criminal to not educate people about active birthing. It's just so wrong. And um, when we lie on our backs, the pelvic size and outlet is compressed by 30%. So just by being upright or um, in a semi-squat, we can expand that space in the pelvis by 30%, which means A, a baby has less time in traveling down, particularly, right? B, they get more oxygen, See if she's off her back, the pelvic floor doesn't have to stretch as much. You don't have to push up the U-bend of the birth canal. So there's a huge amount of, which means if we're not pushing as long, we don't have to stretch as much. That means we're much less likely to tear or get swelling or need an episiotomy. So when they survey women, they've found that if women are given options and sometimes they're not, they're told to get on the bed and lie on their backs and so on. A lot of times, unfortunately, um she's at her most vulnerable and often she'll just do what she's told at that time the most chosen position is actually on all fours in the water comes after and when women are in the water on the bath they'll just often lie back in buttocks and, and with their feet together knees apart but their bum will come up off the bottom of the bath so the there's most still most chosen lots of space. option where in a hospital in a hospital yeah okay. yeah so if you're given choices mm-hmm. um Rather than direct it onto the bed, 60% will choose on all fours, and then the next lot will be in the water. So when you're on all fours, you can actually go into a squat. So a squat by definition is just hips lower than knees. So she's on all fours. When the contraction of the surge comes through her body, she just pushes her bum back. And so her hips are actually lower than her knees. What you get is the sit bones moving apart and the tailbone moving up, and all of a sudden you've got more space. And at the same time, the head travels down the birth canal. So you've got gravity helping with that movement and a nice slow stretch of the perineum. Yeah. So the baby comes around your butt and then in that skin um, of the perineum. And um, it's a really effective way to push. And you can be on all fours in the water if you've got a nice deep bath as well. So a lot of women will birth standing up, leg up on the edge of the bed. um, Just whatever's comfy for her. The most comfortable place for the woman is critical because that means the baby is less likely to go into distress because she'll be feeling less pain and things will move faster she'll know what's the best position for her
0: can you talk about just your she births course i mean specifically with the It's interesting how you you had quite a uh prestigious uh, university study it so i just want to mention the she she births is like a, a birthing education and it and you had 65% reduction in, in epidurals, yep. 44% reduction in C-sections, 53 reduction in resuscitation of babies. And that's what after they give birth, sometimes the baby is not breathing. So they have yeah, to... Yeah,
1: resus a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, and uh, shorter labors.
1: Yep, shorter labors. Like second stage was shorter by 32 minutes, um, which is pushing and pushing generally only goes for two hours. So that's a big reduction and reduction in perineal trauma, reduction in the use of syntocinin by 50%. So this was when shebirths was compared to standard hospital programs in two major hospitals in a fully randomized control trial. So these were the reductions in 176 births, 176 families were segregated into that. So, yeah, that trial took a long time. And I didn't teach the courses. Uh, I trained the the woman to do it and just mentored her through it. Um, Yeah, and it just shows you that information changes births, the right type of education. I think education that's outside of the box had to um, be the answer really. Like there's been a lot of studies of birth education over the years around the world. Um, There are a few other, there's three other studies, one in England and two in Iran. That have shown improvements in birth outcomes but they're not programs and they're not as effective as she births so every other study has just shown yeah women feel better after a birth course Um, sometimes they turn up at hospital less um, or more progressed uh, in labor further dilated but it hasn't shown any reductions in interventions like she births has so i do think it's about the doula approach that we bring it's the the Vedic philosophy that's woven into it. It's how holistic and comprehensive we are and how balanced we are about medicine. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is go in fighting medicine as well and science. You need to be okay with the fact that if I need an epidural, I can make it beautiful. If I need a cesarean, I will make it beautiful as well and I'll be okay with myself. So I think um, knowing that you can make a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds is really critical to less fear for everybody yeah beautiful
0: and and to now post-birth can you talk about the i mean so important about the importance of having a network of friends and family and tribe and you know for the for the sanity for the mental health of the mother for the health of the family yeah so you you do you create circles right yeah we do um
1: we call them soul mama circles. So it's kind of like a cross between a mother's group and a women's circle. I think what we saw here in our community and myself when I you know, was with Leroy 17 years ago as a baby, was that like mother's groups can be really banal and can, a sort of making women connect or not connect um, in this place of judgment and advice giving. And so they weren't facilitating real support and connection. Uh, just because you have your baby at the same time doesn't mean you're also going to be sisterly. And when you just get thrown in the room with Lipton tea and sugary buns, like probably not going to feel like you're in the I right space. I saw one space. the other
0: day. I was at a, I was at a cafe having uh, lunch with my family and there was about eight women all around a big table with their babies of all ages. And, and yeah, there was, they were just like, I know they were talking about not really much, and yeah. it just wasn't no connection. And it was, um, I don't know, it was just like we had to be there because we, we should, or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, our girls come, they choose to be there, and um, we set topics. So over the years, I've realized, you know, there's, we're all going through the same stuff, and we start with um, birth stories and sharing those. And that's, I mean, that's a topic in itself, like sharing of birth stories is so important and women will need to share their birth story at least like eight, eight to 10 times before they start to really integrate and embody the actual essence of the lessons and the owning of it. Um, so to just share it in a safe, sacred space like that is is really important um, rather than just over a cup of tea or in a bar, you know whatever busy people popping in and then we start to talk about self-care we talk about um nutrition talk about um our relationships with our partners and we talk about sleep um so it's not just about poo and the babies good baby bad baby sleeping baby not sleeping baby where should i get the best stroller and my hair straightened this week it's about who we are as women because we're changing so much through this time it's just a massive period of transformation and um we can't do that i think again without being witnessed and held
0: and then a a perhaps more intimate Network of support is, is the more immediate family, and which I think we're really lacking. You know, when I go to India, you know, the aunties and the uncles and the cousins, they're all living in one home, and there's like 16 I know. people. And because <laughs> cool. it's such a big job to raise a baby, and, and I really think, um, you know, you need support from the grandparents or the yeah. aunties, and that's totally. really something I think.
1: I reckon there's a renaissance starting, mm. I think there's a, a coming together of families back to that obviously we're in bondi and um people are here from all over the world but i often see people now leaving once they've got their citizenship or when their babies are one or two to go back to their Mm. home countries just to have that special support it's very different Mm. even if you can afford nannies and babysitters it's a very different form of care and support that you are getting from your family yeah, yeah, it's it's a very um, important thing. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Well. That's all I've, I'm thinking <laughs> of.
1: <laughs> what do you see as an Ayurvedic practitioner when you're treating women during pregnancy and postpartum like what are the main things that you need to help women with, you think?
0: The main the main thing is postnatal to balance the hormones and make sure they're happy, give, having proper lactation, good lactation. And yeah, it's it's mainly getting their... You know, I work with the body a lot. So, it's making sure their body's fit and and that their mind is is good. It's so, calm and settled. Yeah. And the main way I do that is, is with the herbs. Yeah. The herbs are so helpful and crucial uh, as soon as possible after giving birth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I said, to balance the vata, to balance the hormones. And, and for them to to have the tools and the herbs just in case there's a little insufficient breast milk or breast milk was a little impure, like don't wait. As soon as something happens like that, take the herbs and, and the yeah. herbs are, are there to be taken like that. You can take as Amazing. much as you want. Yeah. And, um, I just really think the having support from like, you know, saying, don't just rely on your husband, like mm. get, get your friends as well. Um, and, and I think just a key thing from this conversation is just being, and this is more, pre-birth um, is just to be educated about all these things and do a she birth score so you can go into a hospital and and knowing the options because that's yeah. so diverse and dynamic anything can happen everyone's birth is, comp- is profoundly different and yeah it's a bunch of interventions that can occur so just know and, and be comfortable but yeah primarily for me it's it's the post-birth and making sure the yeah. woman has got good breast milk she's happy the baby's healthy the, they're doing a uh, Ayurvedic massage, Abhyanga oil massage to the baby every day. Yeah, so main- do
1: they start at birth? That's, I really want to ask about the massage postpartum, because I've seen you really help my women, like if they're Vata aggravated, like the, the, the sleep deprivation, the stimulation from the birth, The getting used to, um, breastfeeding and the body working continually, body being hotter a couple of degrees, like it's hard work on the nervous system. And like you say, the hormones. So I've seen you do lots of abhyanga massage for the girls to settle down
0: for the, for the, for the mothers, they have to wait till 21 days. Then they can start having abhyanga for the baby. The baby gets one abhyanga as soon as they come out and bath. Then for both of them, no abhyanga till 11 days. Oh, I cute. think because usually they, they don't wash the baby a lot in the first no, 11 no, days. No, we right? don't wash now. So we that, just
1: let the microbiome. Exactly. So that's yeah. why
0: I know abhyanga. Then after 11 days, you can do ab- abhyanga and washing. Oh, and those are the two most important things. And making sure the baby's having good bowel motions, um, yeah. digestion is good. Yeah. And, and if, if not, then that's mainly treating through the mother with herbs. And then yeah. the mother will pass it on yeah. to breast milk. And yeah, giving the mother the right foods. You know, garlic and ghee are the two most important foods to balance the vada. Yeah, lots of garlic. I didn't know that. Garlic is the best food to balance vada. Especially when you fried in ghee, you purify that rajas, that tamas, um, that stimulation. And yeah, those are the two most important foods and cooked foods and staying inside for 40 days. Yeah, we haven't even spoken about that.
1: 40 days for 40 years.
0: 40 days for 40 years of what?
1: 40 days of rest creates 40 years of energy. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important to rest after birth mm. and not want to bounce back into your life yeah. and um, expect your body to be the same and mm. just keep it real simple, simple mm. and sacred. Stay at home, go out for little walks if that's what you feel, but see your time now as resting to restore, mm. rebalance. Um, yeah, and the massage and food is really critical i think in in all of that too yeah
0: yeah the 40 days is you want to emanate the womb environment in fact let's mm. go take it a step further for the first 11 days that's like and everybody says it's only mum and baby like not mm. even the father the father's at the door to protect oh, and if cute. anything's needed yeah but it's mainly mum and, and child yeah and that just creates ultimate bond for the future and then 40 days it's said not to leave the house what it means is to not Expose the baby to intense uh, uh, sensory Mm. stimuli. Yes. Definitely not wind and um, intense lighting. And so it's just, you know, still slowly transitioning from being in a womb to the outside world, planet Earth.
1: Well, it's so beautiful that Ayurveda says that because we know that all human babies are born premature. So when we went from being all four mammals, quadrupeds to upright, our pelvises had to narrow so that we had that agility to run fast and so on to be agile. Um, but therefore we had to birth our babies at least 12 weeks premature. So, we, yeah, it's called the fourth trimester. And so that's why 40 days. Every traditional culture has somewhere between four and six weeks um, of rest um, scheduled for a mother. And yeah, the, before I even knew about that, like I used to notice that my mums that would rest for a couple of weeks seemed to have more energy for the next two years compared to others. And so, yeah, it makes total sense to me that we rest for as much as possible.
0: Totally. And being, being and within those 40 days, being particular about who can visit the baby. Totally. And, you know, I had one patient who was really impressed. She like, she didn't even want the parents or the grand- and, but she communicated that really well before yeah. she gave birth and made it clear. Yeah. So that was really no good. guilt,
1: no confusion, no shame. Yeah. That'll all interrupt the birthing process as well if you haven't got those things sorted, those dynamics as mm. well. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and then you know, there's even herbs to immunise the baby. We can give them oh, little wow. things. Um, one is like a, it's a gold bhasma, a gold ass mixed with honey. Yeah. You dip your finger in like. As soon cute. as they come out and then once a month.
1: And there's, um, I love seeing in India, the women massaging their babies oh, along the legs. So, yeah. Oh my God, it's the cute. And it's quite, it's strong and it's vigorous. And I think for the Caesar babies as well, I think the Abhyanga for babies is um, even more important to mm. bring them into yeah. their bodies yeah. because they've been lifted out. They haven't been squeezed through. And I think that's an important thing as well. Yeah,
0: I we did a I did a whole episode on maybe Abhyanga with Doctor Raju because all just cute house yeah that's a real ultimate immunizer and mm. builds the tissues and so yeah there's so many things in the Vedas they have so many rituals like when to name the baby if they want to pierce the ears what day to do it and it's all aligned with the astrology yeah of, um, even for the women certain pastes to put on the body. So that they don't have a lot of body hair in the future. <laughs> wow. Like as they're a baby, some turmeric mixed with chana flower. Then before the bath. So.
1: Amazing. Yeah. I love hearing all that stuff. It's great. Mm. I'm sure people but, yeah. will too.
0: So if people want to get educated about birth and take control of your birth in, in a greater sense and it's one of the biggest uh, rites of passage in life, obviously so yeah, yeah. How, how can they they um, just
1: have to um either go to the app store and download the She Births app so it's two words and it's plural and also go online to shebirths.com and you'll see we've got weekend courses and we've got the online program and we've got mother's groups that you can join and we've got facebook communities and there's lots of exciting things in the pipeline for twenty twenty as awesome. well. Yeah. She births
0: podcast as well. Oh
1: yeah, we got the She Births podcast <laughs> as well. We don't have as many episodes as you. But um yeah, we're trying. We're trying. But it's it's a great resource as well, awesome. like these. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Dylan.
0: Shakti. That is how you would describe someone like Nadine, a divine feminine proponent of wisdom and empowerment for other Females and males, of course, everyone involved in the life of a female, whether it's their partner, father, anyone, friend. Anyhow, if you enjoy the show, please leave a review, subscribe, share it with a friend, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tag Vital Vader, also tag Shibas. Don't forget, check out the show notes, check out the other episodes. and. If you want to learn more about postnatal and pregnancy and all that stuff, check out my blog. There's articles on it. Check Dean's resources. And until next time, much love.